Welcome to Great Commission Conversations, a program where we engage in conversation with Bible-believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. I'm Lee Cadenhead, missionary to Zimbabwe, Africa, sent out of Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. Understanding, as we do, the binding nature of the Great Commission upon Christ Church and the integral part that local pastors and congregations play in carrying out our Lord's command, how are we to get personally involved in getting the gospel to the world? How can local congregations own our Lord's commission? At minimum, we should be conducting local evangelism and outreach and supporting missionaries through our prayers and finances to take the gospel to the regions beyond. But beyond these staples of local church missionary involvement, what can pastors do to personally involve their people in getting the gospel to the world, including the corners of the earth that have no known gospel witness or local church presence? That is a topic that my guest today has given a great deal of consideration about. Pastor Adam Summers has pastored the Faith Baptist Church in Chelsea, Michigan since 2008, and he is interested in seeing their local church own the Great Commission as fully as possible. He's developed some thoughtful and creative ways to do that over the years, and in today's program, we discuss those efforts. It proved to be a very interesting and encouraging conversation. With that introduction, let's get into the conversation with Pastor Adam Summers on the subject of owning the Great Commission as a local church. Brother Summers, uh, the church that you pastor there in Chelsea, Michigan, Faith Baptist Church, is involved in many of the staple efforts that we would expect to find in any missions-minded church, things like local outreach, an annual missions conference, a concerted program of missions giving, some of those things that we normally associated with a missions-minded church. But I have noticed in, in some time of interacting with you and being around your church a little bit that you're leading faith to get involved in some more creative ways, some less common ways that it seems it seems like you're making a concerted effort to get your entire church family personally and intentionally engaged in obeying the Great Commission. And I want to talk to you about some of those efforts on the program today. I, I might, before I get into the into the various programs and and outreaches that you're doing there at Faith, specifically to try to uh, involve yourselves in the Great Commission, I might ask you about philosophically, where did this come from? I mean, you're doing some things that I've not seen done before. You're doing other things that I've heard about, but on a level that uh, that I've not seen before. How did your how did how did you come to think in this way as a pastor? Um, I was always told growing up <clears throat> that um, you know who you surround yourself with dictates who you become in life, and I think that's so very true when it comes to ministry. And I'm thankful for there's been several solid pastors and to preachers that have influenced my life. And I got to spend quite a bit of time in my early teen years at First Baptist Church in Milford, Ohio, under the uh, pastoral leadership of Dr. Charles Keene. And I would have to say, when it comes to missions, it was ingrained in me through Dr. Keene that you know that has to be the thrust of the church. That's not an option that we have. You know, that's something that that's already been decided for us by the Lord. And then as it became, you know, in the adult years, I was married and started having children. You know, it's no longer so much about, you know, pleasing mom and daddy. Now it's all of a sudden I'm going to stand before God one day and give account for my life, that of my wife and my children. 
And then as a pastor, I believe I'll I'll bear tremendous responsibility for what we do with uh, the Lord's church. And so with all of that in view, I began to sit down and just reevaluate the the why behind all I was doing. And I came to the the, the thing of, of the Great Commission. And I had always grown up being taught, you know, you need to take part in the Great Commission. <clears throat> There's a great work to be done and we need to be engaged in the Great Commission. And that it struck me one day that I think we're looking at that wrong. Um, it seems like every church, you know, puts a few dollars in the offering plate for a missionary. We occasionally have them come through and present their ministry. But beyond that, the vast majority of Baptist churches, they may be having a small part in the Great Commission, but there's no organized focus effort on not just taking part in the Great Commission, but rather accomplishing the Great Commission. And I think there's a a major difference there. And when we change our focus from just, you know, trying to find my part of the Great Commission and shift it to how can I accomplish the Great Commission, I think that makes all the difference in the world. It certainly did in my life and in my ministry. Um, I was no longer interested in just checking off the missions checkbox on the list each week. You know, it, it became focused on what can we do right now that's going to bring the Great Commission effort to a close. And I think that that's very important is to have the right end game uh, in mind. And so really, when I began focusing on that, then the other questions came up. You know, who, who hasn't heard the, the, the gospel? Why haven't they heard the gospel? You know, what can we do to change that? And as we began to try to answer those questions, I found myself going down so many different what turned out to be rabbit holes because there's really no end to to the detail and the even the problems that come up in trying to answer those questions. And um, it required a lot of prayer, a lot of focus, a lot of uh, input from other people. And it kind of reached I kind of reached the point in ministry to where it was no longer about the buildings. It was no longer about the size of the congregation. Instead, it was about accomplishing the one thing. God left his church on this earth for, and that is to accomplish the Great Commission, get the gospel into all the world. And so when that became our singular focus, things really began to fall in place. Ministry ideas began to spring up and um, having creative people around me has certainly helped. Brother Summers, most of the time when I have these kinds of conversations on this level in regards to taking the Great Commission seriously and looking at how we can how we can get involved strategically to obey and fulfill the commission. Uh, most of these conversations take place, to be honest with you, with with missionaries. Sure, um, I'm really thankful, and and this is not a new thing. I've interviewed a number of pastors for the podcast here, but if this thing is going to get done, it is going to take more than foreign labors. It is yes, going sir. to take stateside pastors that are really looking at this thing critically and examining how they're leading their churches. Um, I'm actually preparing to do a a lesson tomorrow with some pastors on the missions program of the local church. And, And my starting point is that when you look at the progress of the commission in scripturally, of course, the Lord gave his disciples the commission prior to his ascension. And then in the early chapters of Acts, it, it the, the progress is incidental. They're yeah. not going on purpose. It is not until Acts chapter 13 that you have the commission that's being obeyed intentionally uh, through the sending forth of labors to establish local churches, to evangelize new regions. Uh, Acts 13 is where it all begins. That's right. where we get our pattern for 
New Testament missions from the from the missionary efforts of Paul, but that didn't begin until you have local church leadership that takes the thing seriously. Yes, sir. And, and I think you know, there's two sides of that coin. There, I think there's certainly beneficial lessons to be learned from um, the evangelism that took place prior to Acts 13. You know, chapters eight and nine talk about the great persecution. Now the church was scattered everywhere, and they the it says they went everywhere preaching the gospel. So I think there's a lesson there, you know, for the local church. And this is evangelism is not necessarily something we do, but it's who we are. Everywhere they went, they just lived their Christian life and it was an effective tool. So I think there's there's something there for the church. But like you just said, the the lesson when it comes to to missions as a whole, it's got to be intentional. It's not a natural outflow of a congregation getting together. Someone's got to step up and say, this is what God said for us to do. How are we going to do it? Um, it's got to be that intentional effort. And you're right, the model there in, in chapter 13, that's kind of what kickstarted the whole thing. And, and sadly, I think there's been periods of, of church history where there's been a lull in the, the passion and the burden and the conviction to go. Um, but thankfully, it seems like in these, uh, you know, I'm, I'm 40 years old, so I'll just stick with my time. Uh, and it seems like in the last 20 years, there's been this rekindled um, desire to, to see the world reached with the gospel. And I'm thankful for that. Well, and, and in order for that to take place, it really is going to take local church pastors owning the great commission and leading their churches on purpose. I I came across a really interesting quote by the uh, South African missionary pastor, Andrew Murray. Uh, He said to the pastor belongs the privilege and responsibility of the foreign missionary problem. And I believe that that's a, an accurate assessment. And I'm really grateful to see your leadership and your ability to think outside the box on, you know, here we've got here we've got our charges from the Lord. How can we get engaged as a local church to uh, to take that seriously, to get engaged and to and to be genuinely and strategically and intentionally obedient. So let's talk about some of the ways that you're tackling that at faith. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you about, and and the thing that I love and, and, and the thing that I want to try to draw out of this conversation is you're really, as a pastor, this is not just a professional pursuit. You're trying to get the hands of your people personally on missions. And one of the ways that faith has gotten involved in a, a really on a prolific level is the uh, assembling of scripture portions to be sent around the world from right there in Chelsea. So tell me, and, and as I've heard some, some, uh, some of the seed line representatives describe uh, on a level that's, that's maybe unheard of in the U S <laughs> like, like faith really, really has taken this to an extreme level. So tell me a little bit about those projects. Sure. So as I said a while ago, I spent some time at First Baptist Church in Milford, Ohio, under Dr. Keene uh, in my younger years. And um, seed line, Bearing Precious Seed, is based out of that church. And while I was there, um, I was, you know, 13, 14 years old. Your mind is everywhere, it seems like, except on spiritual things. But the Lord seemed to get my attention in unusual ways there. And I, I noticed the print shop and I noticed what they were doing. Um, and as time went on, we, we moved from Milford and kind of lost contact with a lot of those uh, friends we've made there and even with, with the ministry as a whole. And then as I became uh, involved in the ministry here in Chelsea, became pastor um, and my, my focus, my ministry philosophy and specifically my missions philosophy, as it was beginning to change that question that you just, you know, you just mentioned that it came up in my mind. How do I get these people 
in, engaged. I don't, I don't mean just dropping a check in the offering plate. How, how do, how do we make this ours? How do we own this? And so um, I remembered <clears throat> assembling the gospel of John and Romans um, on, on a, a kind of a small scale. I remember doing projects of a thousand and fifteen hundred at a time uh, during our time there in, in Ohio. And um, so I reached out to some people that I hadn't talked to in several years and they had, they kind of filled me on what seed line ministry was. And essentially what it is, is uh, that very precious seed ministry has a print shop and they, they print whole Bibles, they print new testaments, they print John and Romans. And um, they, so they have have this big shop and they print it in many different languages and they have developed this system, this ministry that kind of expedites the whole process for them. And instead of buying all the machinery to not just print, but also collate, staple and trim all of the John and Romans, they've created what's called the seed line ministry. And it's essentially where they print the, we'll call it the raw material, they're called signatures. They print those on their uh, on their press and then they print color copies of uh, of the covers and then they ship those to different churches and uh, they have one of their seed line representatives bring the equipment to the church and uh, they have staplers they have trimmers they have they have all that you need and as a church you come together and you you separate the signatures into different parts you collate the scriptures together you put them in a cover you staple them you, you trim the covers to the right size you you count them you box them you know, and then we, then we ship them to the mission field and so the more I heard about that and the, the more I was thinking this might be a way to make missions a personal matter instead of just a kind of a distant, you know, a, a kind of far removed thing for people. And so I, I'll never forget about uh, 10 years ago, I guess it was 11 years ago now, uh, we did our first sea line project and uh, we thought we were really getting in deep. We, we, we paid for 30,000 John and Romans and um, they 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 brought the material to our church and uh, they set it up and we were planning to work five days on this project. Let's get all of these things done and uh, let's ship them to the to the missionary. And I'm very very particular. I don't want any of our missionaries to have any expense in getting Bibles to their field. And so we're very intentional. We want to pay for the material. Uh, we want to pay for pay for the printing costs. We also want to pay for the shipping. So our church was very intentional in that. And uh, so they brought the project in and two days into the project, we, we were done with 30,000. And so oh, the, wow. the people, I mean, we would start at nine o'clock in the morning. We'd work until, you know, five thirty, six o'clock at night. We'd stop for lunch in between. And the fellowship was phenomenal. You're sitting around tables all day long, you know, getting to know people better. And, and all of that's wonderful. But I remember sitting back looking at that crowd of, there was probably 45 people, 50 people assembling at the time. And I'm thinking to myself, these people are putting their fingerprints yes. on the raw word of God, if it, if that's even a proper term, but it, it it just, and then they're sending this to the mission field. And these people have no idea the impact that what they're doing in little Chelsea, Michigan is going to have around the world. And so the next year we, we increase it to 50,000. And, and then the next year we increase it a little bit more. We got more and more. <laughs> and I think the average size project for seed line project is about 60,000 John and Romans. And but over the years, my people are. Um, <laughs> I've learned that if I get excited about something, they get they get excited about it as well. I've really created a monster, I think, because um, <laughs> each year the project gets bigger and bigger. This last year, we did three hundred fifty thousand uh, John wow. and Romans in in five days, and uh, that the people just get so excited about it. And how the statistics are come up with, I'm, I'm not real sure, but several studies have been done, and in a third world country. 
um, a, a gospel of John and Romans that's placed in the hands of an individual. Um, it's been said that on average that that copy of scripture will be read, one study says by five people, one study says by seven people. Wow. Um, that's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. It, over the last 10 years, we've put together 1.9 million copies of the gospel of John and Romans and sent this to all different places. It's just been an incredible thing to see the church get on board with. But the, uh, the, the, certainly the, the impact the gospel has, the power of the gospel, I, I don't want to diminish that. But maybe it's selfish and self-serving for me to say this, but for our church in Chelsea, that scripture project every year is just as much a time of refocus and rekindling that fire as our missions conference is. Uh, wow. The people look forward to it, and our children get involved from the youngest age. We have, I've got pictures of three and four year olds carrying stacks of John and Romans from one station to the next, and um, it's just the highlight of our year. And it, it, it just it ignites something inside of people when you the, when you thoroughly explain to them that what we're handling is the very Word of God, and this is the most powerful tool on the mission field, and we get to send it. Yes. Uh, when people yes. get a hold of that, it it changes them. It'll change the church. And I'm a, I'm a huge advocate of, uh, of the seed line ministries. Um, Psalm 68, 11 says the Lord gave the word great was the company that published it. Amen. And I, I want to be a part of that great company. I want to be a Absolutely. part of that company that's declaring it and publishing it, not just in written form, but, but publishing it anywhere we go. Uh, I think that's God's intention for the church. And that's so much more, of course, than collating and stapling. And and it's not even a matter of, yeah, to, to have your people have their hands on that. That is part of the fellowship of the gospel. That's what Paul described in Philippians chapter one. That's more than dropping a check in the plate. Yes, sir. Uh, that fellowship and actually interact. There is tremendous value in that. And just uh, for the benefit of our of our listeners, you know, this is what Seedline does. They, they'll they'll ship this. That they, they can they can create these uh, scripture projects. Yes, virtually anywhere. This is what they do. Our church is going to be a part of this. Uh, we, we will do a, a project uh, in April of this year, actually, uh, in conjunction with Wings Bearing Precious Seed, which is uh, just north of us here in uh, in, in Kentucky. And so, uh, yeah, this is this is an opportunity. It's a great opportunity. And it's again, it is more than just it's not even about finding the most efficient way to put the scriptures together. It is about getting the body of Christ involved yes sir and and engaged and and having their fingerprints as you say on the scriptures yes sir. it's got just tremendous value and and churches can get started without trying to do you know a million, a million so that's the, million that's scriptures, the right? yeah that's the great thing about that ministry is they'll tailor fit it to any church I, i've got a friend uh, a young man out of our church used to be a youth pastor here he now pastors in pennsylvania and um, his church this year i think they did twenty thousand. Um, and you know, this is a small church and that, that adds up that, that makes, that makes a big difference. And, uh, I've, I've known several churches that have gotten involved in it and I don't know a single one who's done it one time and said, yeah, that's not for us. Um, most of them just understand that it's a help. It's a help to our children. It's a help to the the missions program as a whole. Um, it's just a hands-on way of doing it over the years. We've, um, this last year we, we did our 15th language, um, it, it was Korean and it was going it was to be smuggled into North Korea. And we've, we have some wow. different connections there. And um, just the just the prospect of 
of the gospel being put into the Korean language and then taken into these closed or restricted access nations. And it, it's, you know, it's incredible. It's, it's yeah. absolutely incredible. The Dr. Keene, I believe it was said uh, that the, the word of God made, made available in the, the mother tongue uh, of any, pa- any, any place is always going to be the most effective tool. It doesn't need a, it doesn't need an interpreter. You know, it's already in their language. It doesn't have to raise support. It doesn't have to go on deputation. Just send it in their language and let them read it and it'll make a difference. And I believe yes, that with all my heart. It's been described as the greatest missionary. Yes, sir. <laughs> because, yeah. because it can get places and accomplish things that even men cannot. So yes, sir. You, you mentioned having uh, even the young children getting uh, getting them involved with something like the the Seedline Scripture Projects. And that's part of what I see you guys doing there at uh, at Faith is trying to get everybody involved. And the Scripture Project is one of those things where uh, the, uh, the, the elementary school age children and the retirees can get engaged together, but you're also trying to cultivate an interest and an awareness of missions of the need, uh, for the gospel around the world with another generation of potential laborers of potential givers and goers. And, uh, I want to talk to you about, about that and, and two realms in which you are, um, really intentionally engaged and one of those would be in some in a in a children's curriculum that you've developed there at the church to make young people aware of the need of unreached peoples around the world. So, tell yes, me sir. a little bit about that. So, uh, a few years ago, as we began refocusing our missions effort, we um, at the, uh, the the ten forty window has really been thrown into the spotlight. It seems like in the last we'll, we'll say ten years, people really becoming aware of the ten forty window. And um, in that space of the globe, uh, the amount of people that live there, not just the amount of people, but the amount of people that live there that have no Bible, they've never, they've never been reached with the gospel. So with, with that in mind, um, uh, with the help of some, some folks here at the church, I, I began to, to, to ask questions and, and uh, kind of doing some polls and, and surveys and saying, you know, what, what do you think we can do? What, what, what do our children know about missions? When we think of missionaries, what do they know about? What do they think about? And it became obvious very quickly that our kids had no concept of um, living in a country where there was no Bible. They had no concept of there being still being people in this world who never heard the name Jesus. And so we kind of set out to start trying to change that. And uh, with the help of some of our our kids, teachers here, we began to develop a a very simple program to focus on unreached people groups. And, um, the there's lots of resources out there. We're thankful to live in a day and age where you know, the internet has made so much available to us and to be able to kind of create our own uh, over just a few weeks, usually six week period of time, we'll focus on one, uh, one group of people. And um, sometimes it's a tribal group. Sometimes you know, it's an entire country. It's, it, it all depends. And in that six weeks, we'll talk about, you know, the size of the country, the resources of the country, you know, ge- geographically, where are they located? What kind of terrain do they have? But then, of course, we'll also uh, focus on the, the the culture, the religions, you know, the the persecution, the, how many Christians, if any, live here, um, all, all of all of those things. And um, after doing a couple of those series, um, talking with some people at at uh, First Bible International, um, they began to develop to develop uh, the kids' curriculum 
along the same lines really took and just expanded and really ran with it. And they have an incredible kids program that's great for junior church or even even kids um, classes, uh, Sunday school classes that really, yeah, it teaches the kids about particular unreached people groups. But overall, the benefit and the, the help that they get from it is it just makes them aware that the Great Commission has not been completed. It's not been fulfilled yet. You know, there's still work to be done. There's still places to go where that's never seen a missionary, never heard the gospel. And when our kids, our kids are never going to surrender to go to the mission field until they first recognize, number one, the call of God on their life, but number two, the need Amen. in these other places. And so, you know, that's it's mom and dad's job to raise their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. I think it's the church's got a job to to keep biblical principles, even regarding missions, in front of them and make give parents the tools to help their kids learn and understand God's desire for their life. And this is all part of it. You know, we got to focus on the kids. So cultivating that awareness uh, in the context of your children's ministry and encouraging them, even at a very young age, to look on the fields, that's a starting point. But of course, we know that uh, missionary preparedness is is a really, really extensive pursuit. And I think that we'd all agree that the earlier you get started on that uh, on that objective, I mean, it, when, when you think about when you think about um, a young man, 20 something that all of a sudden uh, looks upon the field and and uh, sees the need and is moved by the need and does, and has a desire to go. And now he's going to start preparing for foreign mission service. Yeah, uh, we're way behind the curve. Absolutely. Know, in, in terms of planning and preparation, that guy should have. It would have been. It would have been so much more efficient if he could have gotten some Bible training. If he could have arranged some of his personal finances. If this could. If this goal could have been built into uh, his young family and, and, and preparation for life. Yes. And so that's something that you guys are doing at faith as well. Uh, and, and I'm sure it dovetails beautifully with the children's program that, that you've cultivated there, um, to, to make aware, uh, a, a new generation of the needs around the world. Um, I've had Jeff Williams has been a, uh, I don't know if you know him, uh, the summers, but, um, he's been a guest on this program before I was, my heart was moved years ago when I heard him describe a program that he called preparation passport that he did with some of his young people in New Zealand. And, um, recently I was with, uh, one of your assistants there, brother wireman. And, and I found out, uh, you guys are doing this. You, yes, you, you call it Thruly Furnished Ministries. So walk us through that. What is Thruly Furnished Ministries? So uh, about four years ago, um, I began praying about trying to do something to address the issue really that you just so perfectly described. That is that that 20-year-old man all of a sudden realizing God wants me to do something beyond live for myself, but him, but that, but that same man not being prepared. And historically, I've got... Uh, shelf full of, of missionary biographies. And you know, historically, some of the greatest missionaries, th- these men were ready to go to the field by the time they hit 18, 19, and 20 years old. <laughs> right. And um, uh, even even to look at that age group today compared to 20 years ago, my wife and I got married. I just turned 20. She had just turned 19. And we we were ready. I mean, but you look at, at the, the standard today of, of that 20-year-old and my goodness, we're, we're failing them. It's, it's Absolutely. frightening. Um, so 
you know, looking at the historical picture of missions and realizing that, you know, those late teen years, those 20s, those 30s, that, that's the prime time of, of life. That's the, as far as energy and, and ability, I mean, that's, when we miss that, we've missed the, the, the most effective part of, of, of a person's life. And so we begin praying about how, how to address that. How do we, how do we keep young people focused? And then I don't know if you remember or not, brother, but um, about four years ago, three years ago, something like that, I, I talked to you and in just a, in a conversation, you had mentioned um, that that passport ministry, as you just talked about a minute ago, you mentioned that to me. And that kind of planted a, a bug in my ear. And um, that combined with some other stuff, we we, we just developed this, this ministry called Thrilly Furnished Ministries. And it is a it's essentially a, a, a Bible Institute geared toward um, junior high and senior high schoolers. And it is it, it's not an it's not an Awanas. It's not a, a kids program where we come and have fun. And, oh, yeah, we'll throw a Bible lesson in there at some point. That's that's not what this is. It is a very intensive um, uh, Bible Institute that we're, we're using to try to keep our young people's minds focused on what God wants for them. So many times you know, we send kids off to youth camp or, you know, during missions conference, or whatever it might be, someone's heart will be, will be pricked by the Holy ghost and they'll recognize that God is calling me. God wants to use me and they'll surrender. But to, to our shame, many times we, the church leadership have failed to keep that in front of our, our young people. Yes. And we pat them on the back and say, good for you. We'll check the, another number down for the missions conference, another decision, you know, I say in quotes, uh, that's been that's been made and then we sweep it under the rug and then over the next five years everything else in life happens to these young people and they get involved in relationships and college and they forget all about that and so it's our desire to keep it in front of our our young people and try to try to not just remind them but we want to equip them um, for, for what the Lord has for them and so we developed this ministry called Thruly Furnished Ministries and it's a it's a ministry that uh, has three main focuses, and um, it's it's uh, th- three different sections of the program. One is biblical studies, uh, the other one is practical skills, and then uh, the third would be ministry participation. And we developed the the program. We want it to be free of charge to those church members that are already involved in church, or you know they're faithful. And uh, so, for the the young people to get involved in thoroughly furnished ministries, they have to go through an application process. We we, you know, we want to know their testimony of salvation. We want to know some some have some idea of their Bible knowledge. We have a, a discipleship course that we require them to have already gone through. And so when the the thoroughly furnished ministries trimester begins, we want to know we have a group of, in front of us that it, it has some foundation, some biblical foundation. And then sure. for an hour and a half on Sunday afternoons, they have their biblical studies course. We have studied things like church history, Baptist distinctives. We've covered general epistles, uh, the uh, church epistles. We've we've looked at, um, you know, we're going into our finished up our third year now, and so we've had nine trimesters of biblical studies. And um, it's not just like I said a while ago. It's not just a, a flannel graph story. It's this is it's Bible doctrine these young people are getting, and so they've they've got that end of it, and I'm, I'm thankful for that. But the uh, ministry participation has been. Uh, and an incredible aspect as well. Each trimester, every student is assigned a ministry within the church that they are required to work every single Sunday morning. And so on any Sunday morning, if you were to come by Faith Baptist Church in Chelsea, you're going to find 
you're going to find teenagers working the sound booth. You're going to find them greeting at the front door. You're going to find them working the altars. You're going to find them teaching classes, uh, church finance that are involved in counting and they're, they're the attendance. I mean, you name it, they are involved. And it has our initial intention was just to teach these kids how to do it. But through COVID, I've been amazed at how many times um, you know, illness sweeps through the church and all of the regular people that, that run the ministries <laughs> can't be there. And there have been not just one or two, there've been several times where it's only been teenagers wow. running our sound booth. We're talking live stream, you know, the, the audio video, the, the screen, everything. Um, and they're, they're running it. There's they they fill in for our teachers when they're, when they're ill and can't be in their classes. It's been an incredible thing for the church as well as the young people. And then the the third part is that practical skills, Um, because we're trying to, it's it's a prayer of ours that the Lord would call missionaries out of our church. And we pray in faith, believing that he'll he'll do that. And so we're trying to prepare our young people uh, to be the next to go. And um, part of that is not just giving them the Bible knowledge they need, not just teaching them the ministry participation, but also just the practical skills. We have, uh, like most churches, we have all kinds of tradesmen in our churches. We have people in the medical field. We have we have all kinds of people in our in our church. And so we have utilized those people and tried to come up with a list of things that would be beneficial in the ministry, whether on the mission field or just in a local church somewhere, and just try to teach some practical skills to kids, everything from basic auto mechanics to basic construction, um, plumbing, electrical. We've had first aid classes taught by nurses um, that are in, you know, University of Michigan ER nurses to come in and teach trauma and these kinds of things. And uh in addition to those, we've done church music, church finance, all of those kinds of things that I think are helpful to these young people. And so we have, we're getting ready this year, we'll be, we're graduating our first class and we're graduating a group of kids who don't just know that they need to attend church. They know how the church runs. They know what it takes to keep the church services going. They know what it takes to send missionaries. They, it's just been an incredible three years yeah. Um, to see these kids learn and, and develop over, over the course of this uh, this new ministry. That's outstanding, brother. Uh, one of the things I love about that is is j- just missions aside for just a second. Um, the, so even so much of the church is bought in, bought into the heresy of adolescence and irresponsible teenagers. And yes, sir. You're a kid, so you can't do anything. The only thing that you can, the only thing. We don't expect you to be adult an adult in any area except for romance, you know, yeah. and, yeah. and man, churches and church leaders need to rebel against that concept because it is, yes, it is destructive. And I, so, I, I have kind of what I would call weird beliefs compared to most on a lot of things, but the whole modern concept of youth group, I think has destroyed the, the maturity of the teen Christians in our churches. Um, in, in a lot of cases, and not in every, but in a lot of cases, youth group, yes, they, they, they throw a Bible lesson in, but, but by and large, youth group has become a place for our, for our kids to go while we have church. You know, yeah, let, let's send them downstairs yeah. so, so they do their thing, but we'll do our thing as separate. And I, I, I just think it, I mean, we're seeing the consequences. We're seeing the results Absolutely. of 40 years of this now. And the results are, like you just said, the only thing that we, we expect maturity from our kids in the area of is, is romance. And even that is, it's shameful. Absolutely. Um, and so we're, we're trying to change that. And I think Thoroughly Furnished is a step is in, in, in the right direction there. 
Well, that's good for the culture of the church, and it's good yes, for the future of the church because there are so many churches that are literally dying because there's a generation that's missing. They're yeah. they're gone, and yes, part of that, I agree, is with uh, bad uh, philosophy in terms of raising up the next generation because they're disconnected. They don't have; uh, they're not given any opportunity to learn and lead. And so this is good for the church. And I love the, you know, you mentioned that you've got, you've got folks in the, in the medical field, you've got um, professionals that are in the building trades and different things. So this is not only an opportunity to engage um, that junior high and senior high group. You're, you're connecting uh, two generations of your church family and that's healthy for the church culture too. Because yes, it's not like you've got the teenage body of Christ and you've got the middle age body of Christ and you've got the uh, older group. Uh, no, it's it's one body. It's it's yes, one sir. family, and we need to try to find some ways to 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 bridge that chasm. And this is, I mean, this is so helpful on so many levels. Yes, and sir. and two, the um, if the of course the missions and the Great Commission and the need of the world is built into this program. But let's be honest, um, not every one of those young people that goes through this program is going to end up on the foreign mission field. That's right. But but how helpful is it for uh, for a 20-year-old young man to have had exposure to uh, electrical skills, basic plumbing, yes, auto mechanics, that stuff he can use for the rest of his life in his family and in his local church? You're right. So, and, and brother, you know— that the entire church, because it is taught by church members, you know, the practical skills portion, it, it really proves kind of the point you made earlier about the maturity level and just the expectation of our teenagers. Um, the, the teenagers aren't the only ones suffering from this modern youth group mentality. Um, the church has just accepted the fact that, yeah, they're just children, push them off to the side when they're old or we'll let them do something. The church has bought into this. And and while you were talking, my mind was was going back on when we had our, our electrical class. We had a uh, journeyman electrician in the church, and he came in and he he was he's retired, but he came in and prepared all the materials, had uh, you know all, all, all the props he needed to teach the class. And uh, at the end of the class, he was absolutely blown away that a 14, 15, and 16 year old could learn to wire an electrical outlet, could understand basic <laughs> concepts of electricity. And we, our kids don't do more because we don't expect them to do more. They, right. The potential is enormous. We just got to, we just got to prod them. We got to push them on. And uh, yeah. there's great, there's great potential. So you have also, and I was so excited to, to, to hear this described. I, I think that I'm, I think that I'm right in, in, in this, but you've, as I understand it, you've in, you've incentivized this ministry program in a way that sort of brings its purpose full circle. So for for a young person that gives themselves to this multi-year program that is pretty intensive, both biblically, practically, ministerially, what does a ministry graduate have to look forward to having completed the program satisfactorily? Sure. So uh, we currently have 26 students enrolled at our church, and then we have we've opened it up to other churches through correspondence. We do live streams for the classes, and so we have some some students from other churches as well. But for our for our students, and and we've encouraged the other churches to do the same. Um, we we have two different kinds of students. We have those that are just auditing the program. We have uh, I think there's five adults that are going through the program as well, um, and just kind of auditing it. They want the biblical studies portion, but then we have. We have a group of, of students we call the exit students, and the exit students are those who are 
going after the goal that we've set in front of them of meeting all of the requirements with the, the, the credits at the end of the end of the, the whole course. They have to have a certain amount of credits um, and the scripture memory. The, there's just so many requirements. But if they at the end of three years, they meet the requirements and they they're required to meet the requirements before they're age 21, because we have some students that want that came into the church late. You know, they're 18 years old. They want to get involved. And so we've by the time you're 21 years old, if you've completed all the requirements of the course, uh, then uh, we, the church will pay for for those students to go on an extended missions trip. We call it our exit students um, because it's an extended uh, missions trip at the end. And Wonderful. so the exit students will complete all of their three years. And then we have uh, partnered with a few of our, of our missionaries who we know very well um, in, in different places in the world. And the church will send them on, the, on a missions trip. We'll pay for all their travel expenses, all of their expenses while they're there. Um, the church will pay for all of that for these students for up to a uh, between an eight and twelve month or eight and twelve week rather uh, missions trip, an internship with a with a foreign missionary, and so that's a that's a pretty good incentive. I, I mean, if I was Absolutely. if I was sixteen or seventeen years old, and the church says, "Hey, we love you. We're going to reward your efforts, you know, by sending you on a trip," it, that put a fire in me. And so <laughs> this year, we're getting ready to graduate um, five exit students, having completed all the requirements of the course. And uh, so as soon as all the logistics are worked out, some of them are not 18 yet. I'm not sure how mom and dad are going to feel about sending someone that's still a minor, you know, by themselves to the field. But um, we're working all of that out. And so, Lord willing, by the end of the year, our first uh, TFM students will be, you know, going to fulfill some of their some of their time on the mission field. I'm excited about it. I know for me personally, the Lord used a missions trip to South Mexico to to get a hold of my heart as as a 17 year old boy. And um, I'm trusting the same thing will happen in the lives of our young people. Brother, that's just really, really exciting because the the curriculum, the program itself could be life changing. But going to a foreign mission field for for two or three or four months, the potential uh, for life change, it's incredible. Absolutely Mm -hmm. incredible. Well, Brother Summers, there was one other thing that I wanted to talk to you about. And and this (laughs) this makes my heart leap as well. Um, when I was uh, at Faith recently, you have a, a very prominent uh, display uh, in the for you of the church uh, centering around Bhutan and the Zonka language. The, the uh, kingdom of Bhutan is a Buddhist kingdom. It's a closed or creative access country. The Zonka language is, is a language in which I don't know that there's that there's much scripture available. Yeah. This is something that you have you you and your church have adopted. I think that's the word. This yes, Bibleless people group in South Central Asia, and um, I, I would love for you to give me a little bit of the backstory. Where did this come from? How did the Lord put this particular place and language group upon your heart? And what? steps and measures has faith taken to try to communicate with that great, great need? Yes, sir. So a few years ago, um, a man was sent out of our church as a a representative for the First Bible International Ministry. And the First Bible International focuses on a few different areas, but one of the the areas is raising the awareness of uh, the churches for the need within the 1040 window uh, of, of, of Bibles in and unreached people groups. When we say unreached, um, some of these that would be called unreached would be they do have you know a written language. They they some of them have a Bible, but um, they they've just not been reached with the gospel yet. Uh, 
Sure. But uh, I was I was more interested in what we call the Bibleist languages or the Bibleist people groups, and um, obviously Scripture makes it very clear that it's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the preaching of the gospel uh, that that is has the power to save. It's we we, we understand all of that. Um, so where does that leave these nations that have no Bible? They have they, some of these some of these languages have no alphabet. There's no written language for some of these people. And the Lord used several things in my life, the gentleman out of our church with First Bible being one of them, uh, to begin to, to, to warm my heart towards um, trying to do something about um, the people who have no no Bible. And it wasn't just about reaching a language group; um, it was it was also about trying to to set the mold, uh, trying to to make other churches aware that they can do something. And it was just kind of strange to even say that because at the time I wasn't even sure that I could do something. I wasn't sure what that <laughs> process would be um, because it had really never been done before. There's there no other, it's not like we can point to a model and say, here's how a church reaches an unreached people group. I mean, we're, we're starting from scratch. So doing some research and um, it took a couple of, of trips. I took one trip to Nepal and um, all the while doing research, trying to figure out what languages, for some reason, the Lord had just warmed, warmed my heart towards Asia and um, so talk to different missionaries, going, seeing things with my own two eyes. And then the Lord brought something to my uh, to my life that I, I have a copy of it on my desk right now. It's um, it's it's a book that's put out by First Bible International. It's called The Book of Bibleist Languages Within the 1040 Window. And um, it is I, I don't even know how many languages are in this little book, but it it'll basically list every language that does not have a Bible. And um, there are there's thousands of them in, in this book. And I began looking over this book and it, it sounds strange to a lot of people, but I began praying uh, over this book. Just I had it on my nightstand and I have trouble sleeping at night. I'd open that book and I just start reading through just this. It looks like an Excel spreadsheet of just languages. And I couldn't even pronounce some of the names, but I was just praying over it. Lord, would you give me wisdom? Direct my thoughts. God, please help me know what to do with this. And um, in this book, there's a, a, a number system, a grading system that has been put together. And each language is assigned um, a couple of different scores. And uh, the one that I was most interested in is called the Expanded Graded Intergenerational Disruption Scale. <laughs> it's an EGIDS scale. And it's basically uh, um, 12 levels from, from 0 through 10. Some, some levels have sub-levels. And so a total of 12 levels. And each language is graded on how expansive it is, um, how modern it is, how, how well it's used, you know, is it a dying language? Is it a thriving language? You know, all, all of those things. And so I began to try to make my list of requirements for a language that I would want to engage in with our church and, and try to get a Bible to it. And so I, I began making certain criteria and then I began going back over the book again and looking at what languages fit that criteria. And at the end of the day, a long story short, after talking with some, some missionaries in Asia, they said that the people of Bhutan speak the Zonka language, um, and, and there's a need for a, a good Bible in that language. Now, the Zonka language is a little bit different than most of the languages that I was looking at because there is a Bible in the Zonka language, but it is a very, very corrupt Bible. Right. Um, it's equivalent to the Good News for Modern Man Bible. It's just it's it's a mess. Right. Um, so much so, I was just talking with a with a national missionary a couple of weeks ago. And he said that uh, someone, they moved to this new property and they were shocked to open the garage door and found cases of this Zonka Bible. And he said, um, we don't know what to do with it. We, we can't give it out. It's worthless. You know, what are we going to do wow. with these? 
And I spoke with, um, in my research in, into the Zonka language, I spoke with some um, immigrants from Bhutan here in the States, and uh, Zonka was their first language. And um, when I mentioned, it, I, I found I had contact with these people by looking for a Bhutanese church in the United States. And so um, these were professing Christians, and you know what that means, I, I, I don't know for them, but I asked them about their Bible. And uh, he said, well, we, we have a Bible, but it's no good. He said, even if a pastor were to take that Bible to the pulpit, he would have to correct it. He would have to read it and then say, here's what it should say. Wow. So it's obvious there's a need there. Bhutan's a closed nation. It's missionaries. It's illegal to be a missionary there. They're, they say they have freedom of religion, but they penalize you. And uh, there's persecution if you are a Christian. Proselytizing evangelism is out of the question. Um, I'm, I'm in contact with, with a few Christians that are in the nation, and there are some underground churches um, that are that are operating, um, but they need a Bible. And uh, so we want to get them a Bible, and we're hoping that Faith Baptist can be the first of many churches that'll, that'll do this. There's 6,000 languages, 6,000 languages uh, in, in the world, and something, something like 4,500 of them do not have a Bible. Mm. That's astounding to me, especially when you consider that there are 12,000 Baptist churches in America. 12,000 Baptist churches and something like 4,500 languages that need a Bible. And really that 4,500 number gets even smaller because many of those languages are tribal languages. These are tribes living within a nation and they, while they speak their own language in their tribe, there's also a national language that they also speak. And so that Bible language number gets even smaller. And to me, it's convicting that 12,000 Baptist churches, you know, there's all different flavors, I know, but 12,000 Baptist churches if we would just, if we would just focus on Bible translation, I mean, we could knock this out in in just a few years, uh, if we would recognize the need and, and get involved in it. And so, the Lord's kind of developed this this process and this burden for for the unreached and the and the Bibleist languages. And we've settled on the Zonka language. And we begin, you know, the process of trying to get uh, get a Bible in that language. And it's a it's a long process. It's an expensive process, uh, but it's a project worth doing, I believe. So you, there was a point at which God gave you peace about adopting this as a church. So how did you present this to, to the church? And um, it, it, did you uh, did you have an adoption service? Is that did you incorporate that with the, that very prominent display that that is reminding sure. your people? Yes, sir. At our missions conference, um, it's been two years ago. We're actually this is, we're in our missions conference right now as we're doing this interview. We're uh, last night was the first night of it. So two years ago in missions conference is when I had finally, uh, I had thought I had enough of the big picture for, for this project to be able to present it to the church and say, here's the direction the Lord's leading us. And essentially, you know, you can present statistics all you want. You can give facts all you want about something, but until you put together the how, you know, here's how we're going to do this. It's, it's really difficult to, for people to get a burden. And so, um, talking with missionaries and talking with different uh, missions boards and translation ministries, Trinitarian Bible society has, you know, they're, they're, they're not an American ministry, but they have been very helpful in, in giving information and in, in, you know, how things are, are done. Uh, First Bible international has been helpful. But at the end of the day, when I was asking people, how does a church do this? Every single one of them said, we don't know. But we, we, it needs to be done, but we, we don't know. And um, so First Bible International specifically said, let us know what you're doing. Uh, we'll make our print shop available to you. If you need any resources, you let us know. 
but just so you know, you're, you're kind of setting the mold here. We're going to, we're going right. to model and pattern things after what you're doing. And so it kind of, it was a relief in some ways because there was a blank board. We can, you know, the start from scratch and let's just do what we think it's going to take. So we began to develop a process and it was obvious that there were some things that had to take place in order to get this Bible translated. Um, first of all, we needed qualified Bible translators. And if you do a little bit of homework, you'll come to the same conclusion that there are very few qualified Bible translators. Um, And the biggest reason is there's just no school training people. So we were praying about how that would be solved. First Bible International was trying to start the school of translation and we were praying that that would get off the ground. So that was the, that was the first step is we need someone to translate this Bible for us. Um, The second step would be, we need to network with some people who speak the language we need to, what ministries are out there already. And so we began praying about how the networking would work. How are we going to reach these people, meet these people? And so that was a a huge step. And then of course the finances and that's, it's huge. Um, It's, it's been estimated that just the translation process and the the printing process could be upwards of of a half a million dollars. And that's just the translation process, not to mention all the logistics of, of getting a Bible there of, of, you know, the, the translators, how are we going to, who's going to pay for the translators, who's going to train translators, all of that. It's an inexpensive project. And so we, we outlined everything and presented these needs to the church and said, basically, we don't know how we're going to accomplish all this, but, but we're going to. <laughs> and so we began praying together as a church. I presented an adoption service to the church with an adoption certificate of the Zonka speaking people. And that certificate says, we, the people of Faith Baptist Church, recognizing the responsibility of the church to reach the unreached, have decided that we are going to bear the responsibility of the Zonga-speaking people, and we endeavor to give them a, a Bible in their own language. And uh, on that adoption service, we, we prayed around the altar and uh, as a church, and then one by one, each family came by that wanted to take part and came by and signed that adoption certificate. Amen. And... Um, the Lord is blessed in some amazing ways. And uh, the things that have already taken place in that project are things that only God could do. And right. um, that just, just incredible things. We, we have, uh, we've partnered with a, a translation student and um, her name is Hannah. And uh, she is with us this week in our missions conference, but she, uh, she was with us in our, in our, in our meeting when I, presented this to the church. She had just finished Bible college. She's a, a single young lady. Um, she's in her early twenties and she had finished Bible college and <clears throat> she was just seeking the Lord's will. And uh, some missionaries we had come to our missions conference, asked her to come along uh, just, just for the company really. And uh, so she heard this presented and um, she went home and in two days had, had applied for entrance into the school of translation. And, um, and, and since this has happened, uh, I've talked with her and she's committed to be our Bible translator for the Zonka language wow. and uh, partnering with Faith Baptist Church. And so the part of the financial burden of the ministry is we're, we're paying for Hannah's schooling. Uh, yeah. We don't want her to have any expense at all. We want our young people to see that the church is partnering with people. We, we, are, we will help you get where you, God wants you if you'll just be willing to go. And so Hannah is now in uh, getting ready to finish up her second year of linguistics school. And uh, we're getting excited about that. The Lord has 
kind of connected us with a ministry in Jaigong, India, which is right on the border of Bhutan. We last year were able to purchase um, a, a facility there in India. It was $110,000. The Lord brought in the, the funds necessary to purchase that with this, with this, um, with this, and I have to be careful what I say here because of some, sure, some risk sure. to the missionary, but uh, a church that's already established there. He's got it now has a, a Baptist Bible Institute and he's got, and I love this. He's got several students from Bhutan in his Bible Institute. And uh, we're kind of in the screening process wow. of trying to determine if these students have the, um, and I'm not being critical, but do they have the mental capacity and sure. the, the, you know, the, to be able to be a Bible translator? And so all of it's coming together. It's, it's just coming together. And we're still, we're years away from delivering the first Zonka Bible, but, but we're two years closer than we were. Yeah. And th- things are happening and the Lord is just connecting people and opening up doors. And I've already been contacted by a couple of other pastors who have heard what's going on and say, hey, how can I do this? And um, it's, that's exciting to me. That's, that's, that's the goal is to not, not be the, the last church to do this, but be the first of many. Yes. And if we can just get people on board with getting people, the, the, the Bible, getting unreached. Un, you know, Bible is languages, the Bible. It, it, boy, how much further ahead we're going to be in the end. Brother, that is uh, that the the prospects are thrilling. the 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 task is daunting, yes, sir. Uh, but it is a God sized task. The Great Commission yes, has always been a God sized task, but it takes cooperation between us and the Lord. And uh, brother, obviously, when it breaks down, it's not the Lord. It's yes, uh, it's a failure of vision and faith on the heart on the part of His people. You, you so, know, you're right. And I, I've got several books in my office, missions books, and. Um, uh, Melvin Hodges, most people have read his book and, sure. and, um, e- even, um, uh, missionary methods. And I forget the, the authors, uh, Roland, Roland Allen, Roland Allen. Yep. both of those guys say it in, in different ways, but we, we've got to, to get outside of normal thinking. Sure. You know, what works in one age in one period of time, that's great if it works then, but we cannot lock ourselves into that. Um, we've got to always be looking at the, you know, the, the, the new ways of getting the gospel out. The gospel doesn't change, but the vehicle does. And we need to, we need to find new ways of getting it out. Um, and for us right now, it's Bible translation, and I hope others will join us. Well, I'm blessed and provoked by the way that you're thinking about these subjects and, and not only the, uh, the, the project there to Bhutan and the Zonka language, but also the way that you're engaging the, your church family in uh, the scripture projects in the, uh, the the children's program, in the Thruly Furnished Ministries. I, I really hope that the conversation today, Brother Summers, will provoke some other uh, pastors, Christians, missionaries to think outside the box and, to, uh, and to try to consider some ways that they can get their people and uh, yeah. God's people more involved, more intentionally, strategically engaged in obeying the Great Commission. Thank you so much, brother, for your time. Thank you for your vision and for your commitment to this task. I really appreciate the conversation today. Thank you for for the opportunity. It's been an honor. There is a lot to think about from this conversation. My heart thrilled to hear how Faith Baptist Church is getting virtually every generational segment of their church family personally and strategically involved in obeying the Great Commission. If you would like to learn more about the Faith Baptist Church, including their Thruly Furnished Ministries program that was discussed today, you can visit them online at fbcchelsea.com. 
Thank you for tuning in today. You can subscribe to this program on a variety of different podcasting apps. And if it's been a blessing to you, please feel free to invite others to tune in or rate and review the program wherever you may be listening. I always welcome your feedback. You can contact me, Brother Lee, by email at greatcommissionconversations at gmail.com. Until next time, let's do, as a church, what we can to preach the gospel in the regions beyond.